Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. To the book of James, we'll begin in chapter 1, verse 1. Today we're beginning a new study, and it's in the book of James, and we'll go all the way through the book of James. Now, we've been doing this for a while But this study will be a little different. This will be more of a survey approach to the scriptures rather than an intensive. As we go through the book of James and study this book, we will not be trying to uncover layer after layer after layer of truth. Now, the Bible does lend itself to that kind of study, and certainly we should do that at times where we take a passage of Scripture and we just dig in deep. But sometimes, sometimes we're to open our Bibles and we're to simply read our Bibles and just take note of the plain, simple, obvious message that it has for us. Sometimes we're just to read our Bibles and say, this is what it says, and I will obey it, and I'll do what it says. Uh, It was Dr. Jerry Vines that I heard early in my ministry say that uh, we should uh, just let the plain sense of the Scriptures make sense. In fact, he would say it like this, let the plain sense of the Scriptures make sense and don't try to make any other sense out of it. Just let the Bible say what it means and let it mean what it says. And, And that will certainly be our approach to the book of James. The book of James is a very practical book. If you're looking for a study that's down to earth, very practical, that tells you exactly what you should and should not do, then this is a book that you will absolutely enjoy. In fact, as we go through this book, if you'd like to in your Bible or with your notepad, you will be able to make a list of things. Do this, do this, don't do this, avoid this, let this happen. He's very, very practical and very specific. Now, as we go through this study, my, my desire is not for you to walk out of here Sunday after Sunday and say, wow, that was an awesome sermon. Uh, I mean, you can if you want to, but, uh, <laughs> but that's not my desire. Uh, my desire is week after week as we study this very practical book and as you put these things to action in your life that you'll be saying, wow, This stuff really works. The book of James says, do this. I did it. It works. Wow. The Bible is an awesome and incredible book. That's that's my desire. That's what I, I, I want you to do. And I hope that will be the result of this study. Now, we'll begin by reading the first four verses. James chapter one, beginning in verse one. James, a bondservant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith 
produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, first of all, the writer identifies himself. He says, James, a bondservant. Now, if you remember, we just finished going through the book of Jude. This is exactly how Jude began his letter. He called himself a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a slave. Uh, Sometimes this will be interpreted a galley slave. The image you should have sometimes when you think about bond slave or galley slave, this would be not just an average slave, this would be a slave of the lowest degree who would be in the bottom of the ship, as it were, chained to an oar, and that's what he was doing all day long. A bond servant, a galley slave. He calls himself a slave to Jesus Christ just like Jude did. Now, here's something that's interesting, and that is Jude and James were brothers. They were the younger half-brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, uh, uh, and, Jude, and James, just like Jude, uh, did not believe in Jesus. He didn't believe in his own brother to start with, his half-brother. Uh, he didn't believe in Jesus, but later on, He came to believe that Jesus was the Christ and he refers to himself as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And James became a very significant and prominent leader in the church in Jerusalem and in Judea in those early years as the church was being established and the foundation was being laid. James was one of those leading pastors. In fact, he was the head of the Jerusalem council that we read about in the book of Acts in the Bible. And so James was a a very significant person. And so he says, James, a bondservant, and then notice he says, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now, he was writing to all the Christians in all of the 12 tribes that had been scattered abroad. Now, what the theologians tell us this is, in fact, they have an expression for it. They call it the diaspora. The diaspora, the dispersion. That James is writing to all of the Christians in all of the 12 tribes who had been dispersed. By the time James wrote this letter, Christian persecution was so severe that many, maybe even most of the Christians living in Jerusalem and in Judea had been driven from their homes. They had been driven from their homeland. They were in exile, if you please. They had scattered in every direction to get away from the persecution. And what James is doing is James is writing to the Christians in the 12 tribes that have been scattered abroad And he's giving them instructions on how to live in a world that persecutes Christians. Now, friends, I want to tell you, not much has changed, has it? The world's still persecuting Christians. The enemy is still making an attack against the the truth. 
And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at the conclusion of this service, I'll give you an invitation to come and to give your heart to Christ and to trust in Him as your Lord and Savior and to join the family of faith. But to be honest with you, I have to tell you that if you accept that invitation and you come and you join the ranks of the redeemed, you'll be joining a group and a family of people who have been persecuted since the church was established. It's been going on from the beginning. And by the way, in my heart and in my mind, that validates the church itself. You see, the enemy wars against the truth. The enemy fights against that which is real. If you're wondering today why false religions are not under attack, like Christians, friends, the reason why is because the enemy fights against that which is real. He fights against the truth. And that's a, that's a reason people are being driven even to this day uh, from their homeland. And so uh, he's writing, James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, again, brother of Jude, younger half-brother of Jesus. He's writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He says, greetings. And his first directive to this group of scattered believers is this. We'll pick up in verse 2. By the way, James doesn't waste much time getting into his message here. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. Basically, what James was saying to these individuals who had been driven from their home, driven from their homeland, these individuals who were being persecuted, going through trials that you and I would have trouble even imagining, what James says to them is this is not cause for despair, this is not cause for discouragement, this is cause for joy. You're being persecuted. You're going through trials, various, many trials. He said, you should be rejoicing. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and tribulations. Seems like a weird thing to do, but that's exactly what James is telling them to do. And the reason why is because they were born-again believers who had put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and James knew that God was with them. And James knew that regardless of what the world was doing and what the enemy was doing to them, God was up to something good in them and through them. You see, th this is what James says. James says you're going through these trials. While you're in these trials, you'll have to exercise your faith. And while you're exercising your faith, that will build patience and endurance and as you're going through patience and endurance, you'll begin to mature as a child of God. And if you keep doing this process, there will come a time when you will lack nothing. Now, he's not saying they'll be perfect. We know that nobody in this life is ever perfect. But I want to tell you, friends, you, you can go through enough battles in life that you come to the point where the next battle does not throw you off course. You know that you are strong in the faith. You know that you're up against something that God can handle. And the faith is active in you. And you are lacking nothing for the battle. And that's, that's what he's talking about here. Now, plain and simple, he's saying to them, the battle's not over. 
Now, friends, hear me. The victory has been won. But the battle is not over. Now, there's a big difference. You see, friends, I'm telling you that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've been born again, if the Holy Spirit convicted you and you were drawn to come to Christ and you repented of your sins and He came into your heart and lifted the weight and the heaviness of sin off of you and you had a born-again experience and you became a new creature in Christ with old things passed away. Behold, all things becoming new. If you've had such an experience, the victory was won at the very moment Jesus came into your heart. But the battle was not over. You see, it rages on and on with many and various trials and tribulations. It just keeps on and on. And, and, and this is the reason why another passage in the Bible says, put on the whole... Yeah, you're with me, aren't you? Put on the whole armor of God. Now, why would we need to do that? Because the battle's not over. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. And I read this in about five different translations of the Bible. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and the strategies of the devil and the tactics of the devil and the wiles of the devil. You see, we're to put on the whole armor of God because the enemy has schemes and tactics and trials and tribulations designed just for us. It's not a random thing. I want to tell you something, friends. If you're a child of God, you've got a bullseye on you. The enemy is aiming right at you, and he's scheming too. I, I used to tell this early in my ministry. This is one of my favorite little stories. But on one occasion, Satan had a board meeting in hell. He called all of his chief demons together. He said, we're going to get a strategy together on how to keep people from getting saved. And, and, and he said, does anybody have any ideas? And one demon raised his hand and says, I've got an idea. Let's tell people everywhere that Jesus was not born of a virgin. And Satan said, you know, that's a good idea. And we can use that and it'll work with some. But those who are serious students of history and take a close look at his life, they'll know. They'll know there had to be something different about him. They will know there had to be something supernatural about him. So it'll work with some, but it will not work with the masses. And then a, 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 another demon said this. He said, I've got an idea. Let's tell them that the Bible is not true. That it's just full of myths and fables. It, it was just written by man. Men who were superstitious. Let's just tell them the Bible's not true. And Satan said, you know, that's a good tactic and it will work with some. But what are we going to do when people actually pick it up and start reading it? And find out that it is true. So we'll use that tactic, but it won't work with the masses. And then another demon raised his hand and said, I got an idea. He said, uh, 
Why don't we tell people that they don't even need to be saved? That there's no need to even respond to salvation. That they're good. That everything's fine. That they don't need salvation. They don't need a Savior. They don't need a Deliverer. And Satan said, you know, that'll work with some. But it won't work with the masses. Because you see, deep down in every person is a longing to know God. Deep down in every person, there's an empty spot that cannot be filled apart from knowing God. And, and, and people know they need help. They know they need a change. They know they need salvation. That'll work with some, but not with most. And one final demon raised his hand. He said, I've got an idea. He said, why don't we do this? Why don't we tell people that Jesus was born of a virgin? Why don't we tell people the Bible is the Word of God? And why don't we tell people they really do need to get saved? But why don't we tell people, don't do it today. Wait until tomorrow. And tomorrow never gets here. And Satan said, that's a good tactic. We'll use that tactic. I want to tell you something, friends. There are people in hell today and there are millions on their way to hell right now who know that Jesus was born of a virgin. They know the Bible is the Word of God. They know they need to get saved and they plan on getting saved one day, but not today. And thus Satan ta Satan's tactic works. Now, friends, that's a wonderful illustration and I haven't given it in years and, and I'm glad the Holy Spirit called it back to my remembrance. But truth be, I don't have a clue how these things work. I don't understand the spiritual realm and the spiritual world. But I do know this according to the Word of God. I know that the enemy has a plan. He has a scheme. He has a strategy. He has a method that he is using against you as an individual. And whether you like it or not, you are in a war. You are fighting a battle. I don't care if that's before salvation or after salvation. It makes no difference. You're in a war and you're fighting a battle. You're fighting a battle for your mind, for your thoughts, for your actions, for your family, for your faith. You're fighting a battle for your own personal relationship with the Lord. In fact, I don't even know why I'm preaching this. Because you already know you're fighting a battle. In all my years of preaching, I've never had one person walk up to me and say, Preacher, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no problems. I have no struggles. I have no adversities. I have no battles. What are you talking about? No, friends. It, it, just, it, it, it just doesn't work that way. In, in fact, the Bible, and I only have a few I can give you, but the Bible just makes this so crystal clear. In, in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you as though some strange thing happened. Listen, this was written to children of God. Are you a Christian? Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is trying you. Are you right in the middle of a fiery adversity? That's not strange. That's business as usual. That's what we go through. That's what people of faith, people of truth, people of honesty, people of integrity, that's what they go through. And, and, and then one of my favorite analogies in the Bible 
says that man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. If you've ever stoked a hot fire on a dark night and watched the embers rise, try to count them. And if you could count them, the Bible says your life is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. More than likely, every person here today is in some kind of a battle. The next time you are face to face with an adversity in your life, a major adversity in your life, Please don't say, I can't believe this is happening to me. Please don't say that. Please don't say, oh no, not again. I just finished with an adversity. Please, Please don't say, I can't believe this is happening to me. Why me? Why is this happening to me? Because when you say that, you just reveal the fact that you don't know your Bible and you reveal the fact that your pastor has failed you because I haven't taught you well enough. So you make me look bad when you make a statement like that. And I don't want you to make me look bad. No. And and by the way, and don't say this either. Oh my goodness, I must be doing something wrong. Now, now it is possible. It is possible that you're doing something wrong, and what you're doing wrong is inviting adversity into your life. But friends, listen to me. If you're doing everything right, there's adversity in your life. If you're spot on, if you're obeying every truth that you possibly can obey, all hell will break loose from time to time in your life. Because that's how the enemy works. Oh, friends, you may not like this, but there is a very real enemy, and he has a very real plan, and he is orchestrating very real attacks against your life, and he will continue to do this for the rest of your life, and there's not one thing in the world you can do about it. You can't change it. In fact, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. If you read James... This is not even the issue. Again, I don't know why I'm even laboring the point because James doesn't labor it. He just kind of throws it out there and says, this is the way it is. What James does is James focuses on something that you and I as Christians are to do in the middle of all this. And you know what it is you and I are supposed to do? Come on. Count it all joy. That's what it says. When you fall into these various trials and tribulations and battles, count it all joy. Listen, friends, the next time you're face to face with something that you know you're going to be battling, you know it's going to be hard, you know it will be difficult, the next time, why don't you just have you a little hallelujah fit right there? (laughs) Woo, thank you, Jesus. I've been waiting for this one. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know how it would come to me. But thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You say, Pastor, you've lost your mind today. No, friends, I'm preaching God's Word. Driven from their homeland. Persecuted. Alienated from their families. Dispersed. In the diaspora all over the land. By the way, God had a plan in that too. The way he got Christianity out of that little place and scattered it through the known world was persecution. Oh, all of these things going on. 
Count it all joy. Yeah, rejoice. Hey, uh, um, dear Christian uh, brother of mine lives in another state was telling me. And he serves the Lord every day. Serves the Lord every day. He says he and his wife are on a tight budget. And you know, have limited funds. They have one car. He says, the only car we got. That's our only means of transportation. And we've disciplined ourselves. And, and we, we figured out. We do it. Because we just didn't have enough money. And he said, I woke up one morning. Looked outside. My car is gone. Somebody stole his car. And by the way, where are you, God? Why would you allow such a thing to happen? Why would you fail? God, why would you fail a faithful servant of yours? Why would you do that, God? They called the sheriff's department. They, you know, did everything they were supposed to do, but the car was still gone. And they didn't have the insurance that they needed on it. They were in trouble. And he said, out of the blue, somebody picked up the phone and called from another state and said, I didn't know anything about the car, and said, you know what? God has laid it on my heart to send you some money. And I'm going to send you some money. He said that the money was enough for them to buy a brand new car. And he said they took that money and they went and bought a brand new car. But you already know that's not the end of the story, don't you? He said right after they bought that new car, the sheriff's department called and said, we found your old car about four blocks from your house. He said, now my wife and I have two cars. And he said, I can tell you, had we received that money, we would never have bought for ourselves another car. But he said, God took something negative, turned it into a positive. Wow, what a, what a great God we serve. And... and, and and God just has a way of doing these kinds of things. You see, it's taught in the Bible. What the enemy meant for evil, God meant for? What the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Man, that's exactly what we learn in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was hated and despised by his brothers. They mistreated him. They made fun of him. And finally, they sold him into slavery. And he went through a, a horrible uh, treatment. But through the whole process, he became the prime minister of Egypt. And before it was over with, those very brothers that had sold him into slavery, Joseph would be the one to feed them and to save them. He would be their deliverer. And as you read this story in the Bible, it's so moving. I can hardly read it without choking up and tearing. Joseph is embracing his brothers, and he's weeping, and they're weeping, and they're saying, we're so sorry, we're so sorry, we, we didn't know. And Joseph says to them, this is what he says to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. You were up to something bad. But God was up to something good. Do, do you understand, friends, that there are people maybe in your world and around your world, and they're up to something bad, but you are a child of God. 
And while they're up to something bad, God's up to something good. He's up to something good. And because God's up to something good, guess what you can do? Even when something bad shows up in your world, you can count it all joy. You can celebrate your faith. God's always up to something good. If you're a child of God, that's just the way He works. And by the way, if you understand that, then there's a large portion of Scripture that all of a sudden begins to make sense that never made sense before. If God's always up to something good in your life, if He's always about testing your faith and bringing your faith to patient endurance and bringing that patient endurance to a point of maturity and bringing that maturity to a place where you are lacking nothing, if He's always up to something good, then that means that you can see the world in a completely different light. That's the reason Romans 8.28 says, all things, all things, say all things. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. And that's the reason 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything give thanks. And that's the reason Ephesians 5.20 says, give thanks for all things. All things? All things, even when the enemy is up to something bad. And Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. See, don't worry about the problem. Just understand that this is something God can handle. And you go to God in prayer and supplication. And even while you're asking Him, you're thanking Him. Because you know that he's going to see you through. You're thinking, Pastor, you want me to actually start rejoicing because I'm in the middle of some problem? By the way, some of you are showing up late for the party because you're already in the middle of a fire trial. Well, just, just go ahead and start right now and just start thanking God for that thing you're in right now. You say, Pastor, have you lost your ever-loving mind? No, no, I'm trying to get you on the right track. I'm trying to get you on the road of faith. I'm trying to get you at the place where you put your eyes on the master and where you're looking at him and you're not looking at your circumstances. You're believing the Savior who saved you and did a work in your heart. You want me to start rejoicing in the middle of adversity and battle and fiery trials? Yes. Because God's up to something good. Do you know God has a way of bringing good out of bad? He just does. You can go through the whole Bible. I started doing this and I thought, man, I don't have enough time on Sunday morning. That's the whole Bible. This is, you can put the whole Bible in this little uh, chain of events. Something bad happens, God shows up. There's a problem, God shows up. There's an adversity, God shows up. By the way, the Apostle Paul, I think we would all agree, was a great man of God, right? Marvelous, wonderful man of God. Preached the word, gave his life. He goes into a city, he's preaching the word. They arrest him, they take a whip, a cat of nine tails, and they beat him. 
and they put him in prison. And in prison, they put him in stocks with his feet and his arms in the boards and in the stocks. That's why. Where are you, God? What are you doing, God? What's this all about, God? How could that possibly happen to one of the greatest men of God? Was that bad? Yes. When you get to heaven, you ask Paul if that was bad. You ask him if it was difficult and painful and if it hurt. Yes. Was it bad? Did something good come out of it? A Philippian jailer and his entire house were saved and baptized that very night because God brought something good out of something bad. You see, at every turn, what the enemy throws at you, God can take that and do something great out of it. The, the problem's just, uh, I, I love the story of Jesus and the multitude. The problem was they didn't have enough food. That problem turned into a miracle of a little boy with a sack lunch, five little biscuits and two fish, fed 5,000. I love that. The problem was there was this massive nine foot six inch giant that was blaspheming and cursing God and the people of God. That was the problem. And that problem turned into a miracle of a young lad with a slingshot in his face and he took that giant down. You, you see, you can go all the way through the Bible. This, this is just absolutely amazing. By the way, we're still talking about David killing the giant, aren't we? And I've got news for you. That won't end when we get to heaven. We're going to be talking about that when we get to heaven. In fact, when I see David, I want a, I want a step-by-step blow of exactly what happened. I, I mean, I love, I love that story. Who doesn't love that story? But, but you just go all through the Bible. The problem was there was a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee that was so bad that men who made their living on the sea feared for their lives. But had it not been for that storm, they would have never heard the Savior say, Peace be still. They would not have seen the wind and the waves bow down and obey him. See, we could just go all the way through the Bible and do that. But God allows problems. I, I'm not one who says God brings these problems into our lives. I don't think he does. But I think, I think when the enemy attacks, God moves in and begins to work in the lives of those who exercise their faith. Think about this. God could have kept Jesus from going to the cross. Couldn't he? He could have stopped the whole process. Jesus even said he could have done it. He could have stopped Jesus from going to the cross, the cruel suffering of the cross, but he allowed his son to go to the cross and he allowed him to die a cruel, devastating death on the cross. And every last one of us, every one of us in this room today would say thank God for the cross. You know why we will say thank God for the cross? Because had it not been for the cross, we would never have had the resurrection. We would be missing the very foundation of our faith. I read somewhere where somebody said, God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrection. I like that. God loves to turn crucifixions 
into resurrections. I want to ask you today, is the enemy trying to crucify you? And whether you know it or not, the answer to that is yes. You may be, you, you may be at a lull right now in your life, but I want you to know that the enemy is trying to crucify you. He's trying to crucify your faith. He's trying to crucify all the joy and happiness and victory in your life. That's what the enemy is trying to do. But friends, I tell you that God can take that crucifixion and turn it into a resurrection. He can do something awesome with it. I want to read this to you. When you can rejoice before, during, and after the trials of life. It means this world is not your source of joy anymore. It means you believe God is always up to something good in your life. It means you're ready to obey and do what God's word says. It means you believe God can take anything the enemy throws at you and use it for your good and his glory. And it means you are ready. Listen to this now. The willingness to rejoice in the face of a battle. It means you are ready to put your faith to work and win another battle, build another testimony, and take another giant step of spiritual growth. By the way, build another testimony. Uh, I heard uh, uh, somebody say, and I shared this some years ago in the church, I I shared this. You can't have a testimony unless you go through a, a test. And I was so proud of myself because I remembered that and I shared that to, in the church. And uh, where's Barbara? Is Barbara here? And Barbara, you remember what you told me? Barbara, I shared that with Barbara and Barbara said, yeah, and you know what happens if you fail the test, don't you? I said, no. She says, you don't have a testimony. You just have the monies. Well, I want you to know there are Christians walking around today who are going through test after test after test and every test turns into a testimony because they believe God's word. They put their faith in what what it says. They do what it says and they end up with victory after victory giving testimonies. But I also know some Christians that go through battle after battle after battle and all they have is the whining, complaining monies. Oh, friends, count it all joy when you fall into various and diverse temptations and battles. Count it joy because there's a battle ahead of you. And and whether you know it or not, there is a battle ahead of you. Child of God, listen to me. I don't know any other way to say this, but you were born for this. This is what you were born for. You were born for the battle. And I'm talking about your spiritual birth now. You were born to be a warrior. You were saved and redeemed to be a conqueror. To defeat the enemy. You were saved and redeemed to be more than a conqueror through Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. This is your destiny as a child of God. The victory's been won, but the battle is not over. But the good news is, you can count it joy, put your faith in God, and every battle becomes an adventure where Christ is enthroned as Lord of your life. Would you bow with me in prayer? 
Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.